Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our colleague Noel is not here right now, but we'll be returning soon. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control, Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, Matt, you were, you were missed while you were on Adventures earlier, uh, and we're so glad you're back because we're talking about... One of our uh, mutually favorite childhood things, monsters, curses, creatures, dangers in the night. Yes, I'm so glad you guys got to cover that stuff. The evil eye is one of my, well, that's one of my favorite little concepts. Uh, that, that beautiful blue color around that eyeball and how it can protect you from things. I don't know. What do, what do you think about the eye, Ben? Um, there's a lot of stuff actually in that conversation uh, that I wasn't able to get to. You know how it is. You come mm-hmm. in with, uh, you come in with like several books that, <laughs> that that are piled up on one side of the uh, of the recording space, and then at the end you have it's to. It's like say, that for okay. me every time. All the books, yeah. all the stuff I read <laughs> for every topic. Don't let them fool you. Uh, Matt does a lot of research, folks. So um, it's interesting the evil eye because it. Blue is the most common color, but green is also uh, another go-to color. And in some ways, it's probably based on the rarity and perceived power of blue and green eye pigment. Green is sort of the Pepsi to the Coke that is the blue evil eye. Um, But yeah, it's fascinating. And it's very much a thing that people truly believe in across the world in the modern day, just like Jin. Uh, We also talked a bit about the tokoloshe. Uh, we talked, of course, about the uh, <laughs> the crime spree alleged of standing fans in Japan and South Korea. And no, those aren't people at the cheap seats of a K-pop concert. We're talking about electric fans uh, and the dangers they pose 
In short, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Here at Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, we've made it, fellow conspiracy realist, to another October. And Matt, I, um, I'm assuming that you and I are especially gassed because this is the time of the year when I, to a very small degree, and you to a pretty large degree, get to play around with the world of spooky fiction. Uh, and I, I absolutely love it. Um, full disclosure, uh, Matt, you are an EP for uh, some of the best fiction anthologies out there, particularly 13 Days of Halloween. I'm lucky enough to uh, be able to work on one or two episodes. Uh, and I just can't wait for people to hear them. Uh, they're going to be coming out very soon. When, when does the first episode of 13 Days drop? It's going to be on Wednesday, October 19th. You will hear a trailer around the time that you're hearing this episode. So uh, it, it's going to be great. It's a really good season. You know, it's, it's, it is a lot of fun, Ben. Uh, but once you're actually in the process of making it, it it's kind of like video game crunch time. It's just stress until it happens. And then you can go, oh, okay, that was fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I have, a, I mean, I have a much easier role because mine's so much smaller. I just write this stuff and, and hope it, <laughs> hope it works. But, uh, but yeah, this is going to be a little bit different um, without spoiling it too much. You'll, you'll hear this in the trailer, but um, you and your co-EP, the one and only Alex Williams, uh, are making this a little bit more of a long form narrative along with, uh, you know, along with some other excellent projects coming out uh, with our pals Aaron Mankey and Nick Tukoski. So and Blumhouse Television and Blumhouse Television. Yes, we're contractually obligated to mention that part. So yes, well, it gives you a reason to watch. I mean, it really is. It's like yeah. uh, it's a show that has Blumhouse's stamp of approval. So you should check it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, tell them to read my screenplays. I'm getting, but uh, but yes. So we wanted to, you know, we look into some very dark and troubling things here on stuff they don't want you to know. As is our remit uh, today, we wanted to continue uh, tapping into the rich, sinister vein of folklore and monsters. Heads up, as we said in part one, this is not the sort of exploration you may be expecting. Please do check out part one. There's some really valuable uh, context that you'll need to understand how we're setting about this. Uh, and let's give you a quick recap of that. Here are the facts. Okay, I think it's safe to say that if you are listening now and you are in the United States, you probably don't believe in things like monsters. Even if you love horror movies, even if you're the number one, if you're the mayor of Halloween in your town, you probably don't think that vampires and aswang and werewolves, lycanthropes, skinwalkers are real. But for a lot of human history, belief in monsters was an accepted part of existence. You would be aware of this stuff the same way you'd be aware of the threat of a large predator in the nearby woods. And to not take this seriously wouldn't just be like insulting to people who believed in it. You would look dumb to your social peers. You would be like somebody going out there and saying, well, you know, I've never actually seen a tiger, so I think you're making it up. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we why don't we get into the etymology of that term monster cuz it is a shared concept, right, throughout history. I think mm -hmm. I think we should talk about that. Um early on as humans are starting to form groups, societies, you know, uh tribes, everything, there were shared concepts that everybody had to get down or else you're going to have problems the way you're describing. Like the reason why there's social pressure is because there's real danger. Just because it's uh, thought of as a monster doesn't mean it's not real. It's it's just a monstrous thing that could get you, right? When you're talking about predators in that way. Yeah, yeah. And these, you know, if you look across the span of human civilization, and we can we can say this with certitude for almost every part of the world except for North Sentinel Island. If you look at every ancient culture, you know they nailed down 
like concepts, as you said, Matt, uh, very early. Very, there were very common ones, and it's based on the way the human brain works and how it interacts with its environment. So, um, the earliest people, the earliest of what you would call people, or even the things that came before what you would call modern man, had concepts of things like death and the afterlife, right? Gods, maybe fire, and uh, ways to explain the world in which they lived. It was the exact same with the concept of monsters. So if we look at the etymology, we see how ancient it is. It's funny because it didn't always mean a crazy, dangerous, evil, repugnant thing. The original Latin term is monere, which just means to remind, to bring to the, the front of your brain, of your recollection, or to admonish or warn or even instruct or teach people. And then from there, we get the Latin term monstrum, which is a little bit closer. Monstrum is like a bad vibe. If you say you encountered monstrum, it would mean you got a um, disquieting omen, a sign, right? So uh, an example of that in some cultures would be seeing a raven at the wrong time, right? It would be a portent. Uh, it could also mean an abnormal shape, you know, but not in a fun way. It's not like there's an attractive person walking by and some ancient Latin speaking person is going, wow, yeah, check out that monstrum or anything like that. Uh, it, it meant a uh, repulsive character. That's when it starts to become singular. An, uh, it could be an object, uh, or it could be a bad deed. So like um, an act of monstrum, for instance, would be fratricide or regicide. It's a monstrous act, killing of a sibling or killing of the king. Uh, and then from there, English, of course, being the most steely, sneaky of all languages, uh, it, uh, it took the word from Latin, like so many other words, and that's how we get monster. By the early 14th century, people are using the phrase monstra, uh, which you may recall uh, from our conversation with Matt Graves about his podcast, Le Monstre. Uh, this meant malformed animal or human or sadly creature afflicted with a birth defect. And that comes from uh, old French. Okay, so we've got the etymology here. And, uh, oh, by the way, that old French term comes about in the 12th century. So there is definitely an evolution from uh, a much more broad concept to a surprisingly narrow one. At this point, I have to ask you, Matt, I, I didn't ask Noel, um, were there any monsters growing up? that you were aware of as a young Matt Frederick that you either truly believed in or thought you saw or felt like they could be totally plausible? Uh, ben, I don't know if there are any real monsters that I fully believed in besides for a time, the one that was probably under my bed or in my closet. I definitely thought there was the potential for something like that, but I never had a, like a name for it or a type of monster. I just knew I was positive that something was lurking in the darkness in my house when I was a kid. Okay, what about um, the more monstrous of the cryptids, like sea monsters? Um, no, I never really thought Nessie could have been a thing. I remember hearing about that. I did think the potential for a Squatch of some sort was was there. I thought it was probably real, probably in the mountainous, wooded regions of the world. Mm. Mm. I'm, I'm with you. I... Uh, I got pretty skeptical of uh, Yeti and Bigfoot fairly early on, uh, thanks to conversations I was having with zoologists. Didn't have a lot of friends my age. And uh, also, I, I still, I got to say, if someone asked me that question in return, I would have said, like, right now, sea monsters still. I, I believe may, maybe not necessarily huge Cthulhu-like Leviathan, but there's so very little that humans know about uh, the abyss uh, beneath the waves that I think it is 
maybe at this point not probable, certainly not proven, but it is plausible that there's some sizable stuff uh, down there, right, that, that humans have yet to find just because there have been so few expeditions. But then again, now I'm thinking through it out loud, uh, powerful militaries have such a comprehensive sensory net over so much of the ocean. But, you know, hope springs eternal after strange aeons, even death may die. Ah, there you go. If there's nothing left to die, then what is death, right? It goes away. <laughs> Bye-bye. Uh, <laughs> Just do bad Lovecraft <laughs> references. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's certainly an increase right now in our interest in sea monsters. I don't know if you've seen on the on YouTube and some of the other social video channels, people have been posting these highly well-produced videos of sea monsters like off the side of a cruise ship or by a fishing vessel. And it's this amazing CGI of a huge hulking leviathan of some sort coming out of the water. And the animation is just spot on. But it is, in fact, not real. The problem is people's sense of what's real or not is kind of thinned lately. And I'm seeing people who at least purport to believe that these things are real, even though they're they're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and this is where we go into the power of belief, as we've seen in previous episodes on things like uh, possession or outbreaks of mass psychogenic events. Uh, you may know that better as mass hysteria. There are often pretty complex social explanations for belief in monsters, but we have to be careful about that. There's a line we have to tread. Um, when it comes to the nature of people's deeply held personal beliefs. If you show up in a community, regardless of the time and civilization we're talking about, if you show up in a community and you are, and there are 99 people who absolutely believe that the valley two miles distant is home to a dragon or a great, great worm, W-Y-R-M, uh, and you're the hundred. You're the one hundredth person. You're the only person who says, "Nah, nah." I went to that valley. I didn't see anything. Then you're the crazy one. You're the one who is being irrational and not making sense. And it's important to remember because there's a kind of peer pressure that occurs. It's not necessarily malevolent, nor is it ill-intentioned. In fact, in uh, the majority of cases, the intention there is quite noble. It's people seeking to protect each other. But those same patterns that we can see uh, thousands of years in the past, they exist in some form in the modern day. So let's let's call the folklore class adjourned for <laughs> for now. Let's get to the good stuff. Uh, what do you say, Matt? Are you game? You want to you want to explore some real monsters? Yes, I do. So we'll take a break and we'll come right back. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Here's where it gets crazy. As we'd mentioned in part one, for much of human history, monsters, curses, all those creepy, crawly things that go bump in the night or those left-handed magical powers, uh, they were considered genuine things, right? Uh, A curse was considered to function the same way a scientific principle would. Uh, Things like ghouls, the undead, you name it, they were considered real and they were considered to have their own territory, their predilections, etc. A lot of these beliefs remain in some form in the modern day. And, um, well, in, in each of the cases we're looking at, we can find a few proposed skeptical or mundane explanations. But we want to, again, emphasize in each of these cases we're going to end by asking whether or not people still genuinely believe in these monsters. Where, where do you want to start? We're globetrotting today. Uh, we're, we're going all around the world. I'd love to head over to Indonesia for a moment, if that's all right with you, Ben. I want to go to the island of Java, one of the large islands there in Indonesia. And I want to go really to the center of it. I want to go to the rainforest area, or the area where there's dense forests at least. And many volcanoes around in this part of the world, specifically in these islands. And, uh, oh, and lots of water surrounding them because they are islands. It's a really neat place. It's a a weird word to say, neat. It's beautiful, right? It's uh, filled with life, both plant and animal. And it doesn't have the same density of humans as other places in the world. Like a lot, most of the places where I've lived in the past. Uh, there's just so many humans in parts of Java. There are not that many humans, but there are places for humans to travel and to visit. But sometimes when a human travels out into these places where there are lots of plants and animals, uh, they're going to hear something or maybe see something that they're unfamiliar with. And when they do, they might go back and tell their friends about it. And this is a story about one of those tales. So There is a sound, a very specific sound that is associated with a cryptid that is said to exist specifically on this island of Java, but perhaps on other islands in Indonesia as well or in the surrounding area. But specifically, we're going to focus on Java. There's a sound and it goes a little something like this. Ahul. Ahul. Yeah, there's like a there's like an L at the end, but the most important thing is the ah and then the ooh and that little L the way it kind of shapes at the end there. So that sound is probably the 
biggest thing associated with this cryptid, as well as a couple of physical characteristics. This is a creature, you guys, that is part bird, perhaps, part monkey, maybe. Perhaps it's a bat. Who knows? But it's roughly the size of a child. It definitely has wings, and it makes that sound. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And that sound might uh, it, it might uh, strike you as a little bit silly if you are listening to this show in the daylight. If you are listening to this while you're walking through your uh, favorite part of town, you know, and you're uh, passing a fast food joint, or maybe you're at work and you hear a hool in your headphones, then it seems like it's something that's easy to dismiss. But again. If you put yourself mentally in this situation, you're in the woods, it's dark, you're alone, right? And you are in one of the most biodiverse places on the planet, a place where even a lot of locals can run into animals that they have never seen before, then you can understand how this noise starts to sound a lot less silly. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it, by the way, that sound, it makes sense why people call it the Ahul. That's what it's known as, at least in the Western sources that we've been able to find. That's how it is described. And let's continue talking about what it looks like. We, we talked about part monkey, part bat, part owl, part whatever. Um, it, it, it is described as having a primate head. If it were, let's say, a bat, you know, because if you imagine the, the head of a primate and you shrink it down and then imagine like the head of a bat, you've seen pictures of both of those. You can see similarities, especially if it was in a, a chance encounter, a very quick uh, swooping down event, let's say, with one of these things. If it, uh, if it swooped at you, maybe it attacked you and you just caught a glimpse of the face, maybe you would think, oh, primate or, or you know, monkey, lemur some kind of animal that is like that. That is, I, I think maybe it's just a really uh, terrifying image in my mind, at least because I, I go back and I think to movies that I've seen in the past. You remember a little movie with flying monkeys? Yes. Wizard of Oz. Yes. Yes. That goes into my brain when I think about the Ahul. Uh, but not, I, I mean, that one's, it's a little silly, but at the same time, that's what, that's the image I get in my brain, especially if I'm thinking about walking alone in a rainforest like that and something swooping down. The wingspan, you may ask, okay, this thing's the size of a child. How big are the wings? Well, they're purported to be up to around 10 feet. 10 feet. If you stretch your arms out and you're like me, almost six feet tall, that's six feet. Like maybe stretch your arms out. Think about how, how long that is. That's uh, however tall you are. Well, this is 10 feet. That's huge. Oh, and it's covered in gray fur. We've got to make sure we mention that. Uh, and of course, the long, sharp claws that any good monster has on its feet and hands. Very dark eyes uh, that are big, apparently. And uh, super creepy stuff. Yeah. and I mean, if we look at it objectively, then we can tell a few things. First, whatever it is people believe they're seeing, they're agreeing that it doesn't have a protruding beak, which would be one of the things indicative of a lot of birds in the area. Also, the idea of fur adds to the concept of a flying mammal like a bat, but the, well, the only true flying mammal. But, uh, but I would note that if you're seeing this in the dark, because the ahul is uh, known to be nocturnal, then the fur might just look gray. You know what I mean? Because it's dark. You're really depending on starlight and moonlight by that point because there's not an electricity grid out there where a lot of these things are reportedly found. Well, and are we sure it's fur? Like, are you going to... Right. How can you be told that it's fur? I guess. Um, depends on what kind of flashlight you've got, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So the information we have about this Ahul comes from... Really one book that we were able to find. Seriously, a single book and a single account that was not first person. Uh, at least the author that wrote the book didn't actually have this encounter. They're describing an account, an encounter. And this encounter is supposedly a Western uh, naturalist who was hanging out there. He's the son of some other prominent naturalist. And he describes hearing the vocalization of the Ahul as well as seeing a creature 
you know, that has this gray fur, has claws, is creepy looking, maybe a monkey, maybe a bat, maybe a, a huge bird. We have to talk about what happens when someone, let's say a Western explorer of some kind, is visiting a place that they're not familiar with or they don't live there. And they're having conversations with the indigenous people who do live there. And there are folklore tales about creatures out in the woods or in the water. And when the Westerner, you know, hears about those stories, maybe they embellish them a little bit. Maybe they view those stories as, oh, what's a terrible word that got thrown around a lot around these times in the, uh, let's, I guess the 20th century, 19th century exotic, the term exotic, right? Uh, And just like that would be bandied about um, as in it's so strange and different. Well, I, I just wonder if that's maybe what's happening here. And what was really seen, if this account is in fact true, was just something that lives out there that is natural and not monstrous at all. With which they would be unfamiliar because, again, there's a vast array of animals that exist only in that region. So if you are an explorer from the outside, you would maybe be familiar with some analogs of that like uh like if you're a european in this era you would have been aware of something like owls but there's almost no chance you would have been aware of other similar birds in this area you know that's that's another part of why uh, so many so many europeans back in the day believed that uh, the african continent and the far east from their perspective, were filled with monsters because they would get these reports that would change over time. Eventually, someone with a pen and paper would try to draw or carve, you know, a representation of what the person is telling them. They heard from a person who heard from another person on the Silk Road or whatever, and then boom, unicorns. Yeah, that's how they were born every time from an obscure drawing. Of a story from a friend of a friend of a friend. Um, all right, Ben. So here we go. First, I want to show you this video, which is of a specific owl species that is native to the island of Java. And I think I want to at least propose to you that I think this might be our, our culprit for the Ahul, this specific owl. And it's because of the wingspan of this thing, if you imagine it coming at you. So that's a a big owl. And it does look to me to be about the size of a small child, if you saw it up in the trees. And then when it stretches its wings out, because it is relatively short, the wings look huge. And I can imagine someone maybe misreporting, you know, uh, oh, it's, its wings were 10 feet long, man. But in fact, they are not quite that long, but they are huge compared to the size of the body vertically. Okay, and then here is the other reason why I think it might be this owl, and it has to do with the sound. Here we go. Listen to this. Tell me what you think. Okay, so do you hear that? I'll tell you what I hear. I hear ah, and then... Ooh, ah, ooh. So this is the spotted wood owl of Indonesia and Java. So I propose that if there were two of these owls in close proximity, let's say if it was mating season or something like that, and they're both vocalizing with the ooh and the ah, you may hear ah, ooh, ah, ooh, in a very strange way. It's it's almost like it's coming from two different animals because it is, but it would feel spooky if it was up above you high in the tree line. And then if one of them did swoop down upon you with those huge wings, you would be freaked out and probably run away. I would. And then you would tell stories about what you just experienced. If this is in fact what the Ahul is, then it would be a pretty mundane, simple explanation. I'm not saying that it's definitely this. Just wanted to put that out there because I, when I stumbled upon the Ahul vocalization of the spotted owl, I was like, oh, that feels right to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm tempted to agree. Also, let's keep in mind, there's not a ding on anyone. Let's keep in mind that when people run away from stuff that surprises them and they tell people about it later, human beings can have a little bit of a tendency to embellish. Just to make it look not, you know, 
not like a craven action. They don't want to look cowardly. So maybe this thing becomes a little bit bigger each time you talk about it. Uh, also, people who are uh, not uh, planning on observing something, when they just see it in the moment and they're running and they feel like it's coming at them, uh, then they're not going to be the most reliable observers or witnesses. But again, uh, we're just saying, I think here, Matt, that this is this feels like it could be a plausible explanation. Also, if there were uh, cryptids, we use that term instead of monsters, if there were cryptids on the surface of the planet still, then Indonesia would be a prime location to find them. Again, due to the biodiversity and density of the wild space there. Uh, also, as we have to say in every cryptid episode, if they're out there, uh, this is the most likely time in history that they will be found. No, not just because of satellites, which can't always penetrate jungle canopy, but more so because there are just more humans going more places. That is correct. Well, that's everything about the Ahul, Ben. Uh, what else we got? Well, we've got an ad break coming up. And after that, we're going to travel, Matt, uh, not, not too far from Indonesia. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we have returned 
We're packing our bags. We're going to the Philippines. We're going to learn about something that has captivated me for a long time called the Aswang. So the Aswang, A-S-W-A-N-G, is, according to Philippine folklore, a, it's so weird. It's kind of a one-size-fits-all evil shapeshifter. It, you know, if if we were going to be Stefan from Saturday Night Live, we would say it's got everything: werewolf fangs, lycanthropy, skin changing, drinking blood, eating flesh, the Aswang. Uh, it doesn't have any consistent image or description. Its appearance varies by region. They're often characterized by hearsay. So you'll have, um, you know, I was talking to some older uh, older friends that I know, or really friends' parents, who are from the Philippines when I first learned about this at a younger age. And they didn't have, uh, these people who were older, they didn't have their, necessarily have their own firsthand encounter stories, but they all had stories of someone that they knew and trusted that had seen something that they would call in a swan. And these creatures then, if they all have, if they're shapeshifters and if they have a variety of appearances, depending on where you're at, then we can look to their habits, their behavior to find commonality in terms of what defines an aswang. So they're nocturnal. It's another piece of the vampire myth they've got. Uh, their powers are greatly reduced in the day, which gives them a near vampiric fear of light. And sometimes they're described as living in the wilderness or on the outskirts of society. But then they're a little different from some monsters because they can also live in close proximity with humans, even in the confines of a village within it, the same way that, you know, rats have adapted to living with people. And there are reports of Aswang attacks, even in large, heavily populated towns and cities. This ability to adapt, sort of like the fox in the United Kingdom, uh, while still maintaining their dangerous nature, is one of the most distinguishing features of them amongst uh, amongst the world of monsters. They also don't like loud noise. So wakes in the past would be real would be really brightly lit uh, affairs and sometimes noisy affairs to keep these things away. Uh, you can think of it as an umbrella term. It's like an aggregate of all these sinister supernatural entities that are just bumping in the night. My new favorite euphemism for sexy times. Uh, it, it doesn't have a ton of caveats to its victims, right? It, it's just out to attack, spread tragedy and evil in its wake. It's an agent of chaos. But folklorists have, and anthropologists, to be fair, have studied this phenomenon of Aswang belief in detail. And they reached some pretty interesting conclusions, Matt, uh, about why people to some degree still believe in creatures like this. First, this belief is very, very old. Uh, the first initial Spanish explorers, hundreds of years ago when they came to the Philippines, they recognized how deeply locals feared this on a near universal level. And secondly, the Aswang may have come into existence as a way of explaining otherwise inexplicable tragic deaths, right? Especially child mortality. If we ask why it has so many conflicting descriptions, this gets pretty interesting because the Philippines are archipelagic, right? That's the culture. Like Indonesia, it's an, a, a nation uh, made by an archipelago, a bunch of small islands grouped together. And so if you look at this ancient culture with this vast array of islands, in very, very different communities on each, then you'll see that while information is being transmitted primarily through word of mouth, again, for most of human history, the Aswang became a kind of customizable, one-size-fits-all entity, and it could be tailored to the concerns and fears and events of each local community. So this means that the Aswang became kind of a monster, a terror for all people. And whatever the origins of it, 
whatever this murky evolution. Make no mistake, if you ask some people in the Philippines today, they may well assure you the threat is real and have a story about an encounter with one of these creatures. At this point, Matt, I want to give a special shout out to all of our listeners in the Filipino community. Whether you're in the Philippines now, or you spent time there, or your family is from there, would love to hear from you if you if you or a family member has a story about an Aswang and what you think about that story. One eight three three STD WITK conspiracydiehardradio.com. Let us know. We're gonna move quickly on this because I, I feel like someone will have a story about that one, man. Um, now let's go to Northern Africa to Zanzibar, to something much newer, the Popobawa. Have you heard about this one? No idea. Tell me about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Popobawa is a Swahili term, and if you transliterate it, then it, you'll see it means bat wing. Popo means bat, bawa means wing. And just the way the ahul is sort of the uh, an onomatopoeia-derived name, Right. Oh, I forgot to mention this. Uh, calling calling that creature in Indonesia Nahul is sort of like if you were to call a dog a bark bark. Right. That's, that's a bow wow. Way to explain. A bow wow. Yes. Not little bow wow. Regular bow wow. I think he just goes by bow wow now. I haven't checked on him in a minute. So this thing, this popo bawa, is a uh, shapeshifter as well. A lot of these are uh, a shapeshifter that has kind of a true form and his true form is a roughly humanoid hunched figure with gray skin and it smells sulfurous. So this one does have like some kind of associated monster smell the same way that people would associate demons in popular culture with brimstone. Uh, It's really gross looking picture, a mixture of the old school Nosferatu and uh, a cyclops from Greek mythology. It's got a huge mouth, lots of fangs. I hope this part makes it into the YouTube because I'm, I'm doing a cool finger fang thing. Uh, and then it has one huge eye in the very center of its forehead. It's got these big wings that it wraps around itself like a cape. So if you're familiar with the Wheel of Time series, uh, this is similar to, uh, I think, what's called the Drakkar. Uh, it looked like if you saw it walking around and somehow got its lips over its crazy dental situation, you might think it's just a hunched over dude in a trench coat. Uh, it is also known for, and this is a little not safe for work, it's known sometimes for killing people, but more so for assaulting them on a sexual level and reputedly has a strong preference for males. And uh, there's a bunch of social commentary that goes into that, which is pretty fascinating. Some people have said that the, uh, the Popo Bawa told them to tell people it assaulted them. And if it didn't, then it would threaten to kill them. If, if they didn't talk about it. Very strange, right? Yeah, that's weird. I have thoughts, but let's continue, and then we can All right. maybe yeah. circle back to that. Yeah, yeah. So, in short, what you need to know about this thing is that it is a rough customer, but it's also very recent. It is not like the Aswang. It is not something that had been in the zeitgeist for thousands of years, potentially. The sightings of the Popabawa date back to 1965 on an island called Pemba. And these sightings began pretty much right after the island had a political revolution. And then there were more sightings in the 1970s, and it would pop back in like like so in the 1980s. There was a peak of sightings, like a lot of people uh, felt they saw or encountered this in 1995, uh, some more years pass, and the Papa, Popa Bawa uh, again starts appearing periodically. Uh, there was a sighting in 2007. There have been some more sightings since. There is an origin story, which is interesting, and it ties into belief in jinn. The idea is there was a sheik in the 1970s who released a jinn 
as part of a vengeance operation. He wanted to to he wanted retribution against his neighbors for some reason. He lost control of the Jin, and the Jin in turn lost its path and started doing uh, demonic stuff. Right, started making trouble, and I found an interesting uh, folklore or anthropological argument that Zanzibar, because it had a past as an Arab-run slavery market, that uh, Popabawa may be what's called an articulate, articulated social memory of the horrors of slavery. So again, a, a cultural way of understanding very real and uh, very real atrocities. Uh, this... Because it's so recent, there's been some more Western attention on it too, you know, similar to the Screaming Girls of Malaysia. Uh, check out our episode on that. Yeah, the Popabawa can reportedly possess people. In 1995, there's a guy named Joe Nickel writing for the Skeptical Inquirer who wants to figure out more about this phenomenon. And he associates it with something. I, I, I don't think this association will surprise you, Matt. He says, okay, this thing is getting into people's houses at night. They're powerless. They're paralyzed as it does all these terrible things to them. He says, this reminds me a little bit of a phenomenon called sleep paralysis. Oh, yeah. I can imagine that. This feeling of having large wings wrapped around you to the point where you're unable to move, you're completely paralyzed, you are being assaulted uh, sexually or otherwise by this thing that is holding you down and won't let you go. I can imagine that. Although I don't hear a lot of sleep paralysis stories. Maybe this is just me. I don't hear a lot of them that are talking about assault specifically. It's more like the fear of this thing approaching and the possibility of it attacking, but never really the attack. I don't, I don't hear that very often. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, the Popobawa Pope does seem to have a uh, a bit of a type or a bit of a demographic, aside from its preference for human males. It is also reportedly a bit of a clout chaser. So it targets people who are openly skeptical, don't believe in evil spirits, and warns its victims that they have to spread the story of the attack. If they don't tell anyone, it'll return and make them suffer all over again. Uh, it's it's strange because it comes from the older tradition of belief in evil spirits called Shatani. Uh, and that has existed for much, much longer than this iteration, the Popobawa. And Apparently, just because of the the threat of targeting non-believers, a lot of local people for many decades would not publicly deny the existence of this thing, even if they were personally uh, not convinced it was real. Because you know, it's like the it's the way a lot of people treat superstitions. It you know why walk under the ladder if you don't have to, right? Why purposely cross the path of the black cat and so on. Uh, this thing has been the cause of not one, but multiple outbreaks of mass hysteria, mass uh, psychogenic events. 1972, it's a big one. 1995, that's where uh, the skeptical inquiry gets involved. 2000, 2007. Uh, this also, this creature, oddly enough, seems to have uh, a finger, a, t a talon. Uh, on the pulse of national elections, because get this, that's when sightings spike right around voting time. How could that be beneficial, though? Like uh, the, the person yeah. who currently has power is supported by this thing that's attacking people? So <laughs> weird, right? And then also the uh, the other thing about it is that when I saw statements about that, and it does look like, I mean, it is factual. Reported sightings spike around those elections. But when I, when I looked into people who believed in it to various degrees, a lot of people go out of the way to say it's apolitical, even though it's the sightings are tied to elections. So 
this is, uh, I don't know how many, um, how many of our fellow listeners have experience in Zanzibar or been to the island of Pemba, but let us know if you have heard about something like this. Let us know what you think it might be. It's also quite possible in this case, given those very human-like concerns, that this could be a person or group of people who have taken on the mantle of uh, of some sort of supernatural entity, which would not uh, be unprecedented in the story of human civilization. And so we want to hear from you. Contact us about these. Contact us about other examples of monsters that people seem to genuinely believe in here in the modern day. These are just a few examples. I mean, Matt, we haven't even gotten to the Pichal Peri of Pakistan, the Dayan of India, the Banjakri uh, or Banjakrini of Nepal. We may need to make this a, a three-parter. If you're down, what, what do you think? Yeah, let's... Uh... Let's make more monster movies in the form of podcast. Yes, and then let's also make a monster movie. I've got some doozy ideas. Uh, We were doing a little bit of uh, video stuff in the recent past, and Matt, it just felt so good to to get back in the field with you, man. Um, I noticed that you and I didn't do a two-person bit yet, so we've got to make that happen. We haven't? I don't think we have. Uh, Okay, we will make that happen. For sure. Oh, oh, come on. Okay. I it, it, only if you want to. I will tell tell me how to like bribe you. How can I how can I make it worthwhile? No, no. I just I think we I don't know why we haven't yet. I think maybe it always feels like it needs to be either Noel or Matt. Does that make sense? <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Yeah, we gotta get you and Nolan. What what are we talking about? Well, uh we will tell you. Uh, tell us what you think, especially if your community or your region uh, or your neck of the global woods is home to a monster people genuinely believe is real. Uh, if you want to see some of the stuff we're we're mentioning, then you can find Matt Knoll and yours truly on social media. We've been putting out some uh, promotional reels. Uh, you know, we have... Uh, I don't want to speak for Noel, but uh, Matt, I know you. I, all three of us are fans of sketch comedy, and and you and I are uh, conspiring to bring a little more sketch comedy in the world, if possible. It might be a matter of scheduling, but hopefully we could get to it. In the meantime, yeah, check out check out what we're doing on YouTube, uh, Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. Here's where it gets crazy. Arbitrarily rated by us as the best page on the internet. And if you do not sip the social meads, whether you are human or not, you can always give us a phone call. Yes, our number is one eight three three stdwytk Give it a call, give yourself a nickname, and let us know if we can use your name and message on the air. Yeah, you've got three minutes, so if you if you need more than three minutes, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.